Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Amal Ismail. Now, Amal is a functional medicine practitioner. I am working with her, which is why I've dragged her kicking and screaming onto the show. Um, <laughs> she's not your usual fare. Functional medicine is really about understanding how your gut and the gut bacteria affect the rest of your body. Uh, they affect your immune system, it affects your thinking, it affects your intelligence, and it affects all sorts of aspects of your life. And Amal is here to talk to us about uh, functional medicine, uh, about gut health, about epigenetics, about what we call it psychobiotics, and various other bits and pieces which have captured my attention. And unfortunately, because it's caught my attention, you're going to have to suffer, because that's how <laughs> I do things. Amal, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. And I, I can't really express how grateful I am that you are sharing your experience with the world and also sharing this knowledge with the world, because it's so important in our current, uh, the current state of health that we're experiencing across the world with rising mental health disorders, rising chronic diseases such as cancer and cardiovascular diseases and so on, that you know, we have to look at we have to look at human health in a whole different way. And this is where functional medicine brings such a beautiful systems biology approach to thinking that allows us to unlock the beauty that exists within our body and how to help us really tap into the intelligence of our body and, and heal and thrive. And that's really what I'm really passionate about. I'm all about education and empowerment, and I'm excited to be here. So thank you. It's my pleasure. I mean, you've spent, what, the last 15 years in uh, in and around health in virtual practice and clinical practice in retail. And over those years, presumably, there's been this shift away from traditional pharmacological medicine to this more functional uh, approach. And I'm very curious, what catalyzed that in the first place? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think there is kind of one instance that, you know, a moment in time that kind of helped me uh, make that shift. I think it was a combination of events that culminated in my decision to kind of explore a different approach to care. And that's really because when you think about conventional medicine and where it was born from, it was really born as a result of treating uh, pandemics, right? When we had the Spanish flu and then we had, you know, the discovery of penicillin and antibiotics, and we had this kind of germ theory approach to medicine that, you know, there are things out there in the world that are going to get us and and we need to have the tools to treat them. And also we had this very much a reductionist approach to care where we looked at the symptom in that particular organ and we went after it, but we never looked upstream to say, well, what's happening up there? Why did the symptom appear in the first place? You know, I'm trained as a pharmacist. And when I was studying as a pharmacist, I always had this um, systems approach to thinking. And I always asked a lot of questions as to, you know, well, when this drug, when we use this drug for a particular treatment, we're experiencing side effects. Why are we experiencing side effects? It must be doing something. It's impacting something in the body because the body is interconnected. But unfortunately, we're taught in a way where, you know, the like we're taught that the body is a collection of organs that somehow talk to each other, right? But we don't actually look at it as an ecosystem. When I started working with pharma and I, you know, I worked in multiple capacities, but when I worked with patients, that's when I realized this reductionist approach is not working because we are literally focusing 
on the end product of a disease process that's been happening for a long time. So even when we think about, let's take diabetes for an example, right? Diabetes is brewing in the background for a good 15 years before it actually manifests as a diagnosable disease, you know, before you are in need of medical intervention. And that's really problematic because that sort of pre-disease state that you're in for 15 years is causing massive dysfunction in the body, lots of inflammation, right? When we think about sugar, sugar caramelizing you, you know, you're like cooking from the inside. So imagine what that's doing to your vessels, to your heart, to your brain cells. And so all of this damage is taking place. And we wait for that magic number that's defined to say, oh, now you're diabetic. Let's start you on X or Y metformin or insulin or so on and so forth. But by, by the time we get to that stage, we've already, you know, we've been experiencing disease for a very long time. And I think that's where my own personal experience is, uh, you know, working in a fast-paced corporate environment, traveling around the world, even though I was very conscious of the choice of food I ate, I trained excessively, my body started to falter and it was sending me lots of signals. And when I went to the conventional path, you know, the solution was take a week off, here's some antibiotics, here's some antivirals. But then the cycle kept repeating. And I was like, but my body is screaming. It's saying something is wrong. And it's only when I met an amazing physician. I was based in Singapore at the time and I met an amazing Chinese medicine doctor and he opened my eyes because he was like, but your body is all connected. It's an ecosystem. And so we have to treat it as such. And it was the first time I sat with someone, they were asking me, what was your life like in the womb? Did you have antibiotic exposure? What did you eat as a child? And I was like, why are they asking? No one's ever asked me those questions. And this is what kind of started my path of research into what can we do? How can we do it better? And this is how I stumbled on functional medicine and never looked back. I think I've just identified the my new branding, which is functional selling, because you've tapped into, you've just described exactly the journey that I've gone through over the last 35 years, um, recognizing you have to look upstream for the causes of your own and your customers' problems. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're just treating the symptom. And if you treat the symptom, the problem doesn't go away. It just moves or it manifests somewhere else and it just festers and festers. And I see this in the way people's careers have evolved because their careers have been so fixated on what they thought was success. But actually, it was something very different. It was trying to fill a void. And they tend to be succeeding towards their own self-destruction. And they start to feel more and more isolated. They become more actively avoided and they erode trust because they overemphasize themselves. And in order to fill the void, they yep. fill it with living fast, you know, live fast, die young, make a good looking corpse. The emphasis is, you know, we do more and then we rest, but then we get really sick. Because every time I ever went on holiday, I got sick straight up. Yeah, so the first week was me being ill. And that's not surprising. That's a very typical, I mean, I experienced it personally myself in my own health journey, but that's the common thing that all my patients come, I would say probably 95% would come and say, you know, I took a holiday and the holiday was awful because I got the flu or I ended up with a migraine or I felt exhausted or I developed ulcers or I got cold sores or I ended up with shingles, you know, like all sorts of havoc yeah. is wreaked kind of uh, in in their body and the reason for it is because when we're when we're in that fast paced go 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 environment that we put our body in we're effectively activating our sympathetic nervous system so we're we're in that fight or flight mode consistently 
that is not how we're biologically designed to function. We're biologically designed to to switch seamlessly between sympathetic and parasympathetic, parasympathetic being the rest, digest, and restorative state of our health. And so when we're in that, and unfortunately, our modern society keeps us in that sympathetic state, when we are in that sympathetic overdrive, that cortisol is really suppressing our immune system. And we have loads of cortisol and adrenaline pumping in our body. So we feel, you know, we feel that we can take on the world. And the moment we rest, the cortisol and adrenaline calm down, and then the repercussions of that excessive production of these hormones in the body comes to play, and the immune system is now alerted to all the dysfunction that's going on. And one of the major things that happens during that high stressful period is high sort of fast-paced environment, high stress, is that you end up damaging your gut microbiome and damaging your gut lining. So we end up with a breach in the lining of our barrier, and that barrier is what protects us from the outside world. Can you explain what you mean by the microbiome? Absolutely. So when we talk about, and I'm sure there's, you know, loads of, there's lots of information now out there about the gut and the gut microbiome. So I'd just like to define it a little bit more. So the gut is basically this hollow tube that starts all the way from your nose and mouth and runs down your esophagus into your stomach, intestines, out in the anus. That entire hollow tube, including the lungs, right? All that, all these hollow spaces, that tube is called the gut. And we often think it's only the stomach and the microbiome, but uh, sorry, the stomach and the intestines, but that the gut is that whole entire tube. And that tube is made of one cell layer thick, right? It's just one cell layer thick. So it's literally the, think of it at almost the thickness of an eyelash. That's how thin that barrier is. And that barrier is basically what separates us from the outside world. So anything you eat and inhale is still considered outside until it passes that barrier. So that barrier is so critical for our health because it's what protects us and what helps us process the world outside of us. And really that barrier is where all systems in your body converge. So your immune system, your nervous system, your endocrine system, your skeletal, everything converges at that barrier. And this is where kind of crosstalk communication takes place. So then the body can go and do the rest, what it needs to do to process what's, what's coming from the outside, whether that's emotional, whether that's food, whether that's viruses, whether that's bacteria, whatever that, whatever it's um, taking place. One cell seems awfully thin. So there must be something protecting that. Yeah. So your immune system, 70% of your immune system sits behind that lining for that purpose. Think of that uh, barrier as the wall around your castle. And all your troops, the majority of your troops are basically sitting behind it, waiting. In case there's a breach, they can react immediately. But it's Mm -hmm. important that it's thin because we need to process information really quickly. And it it is actually a very fascinating physiology because that one cell thick layer, which is your gut, is next to the the most dense microbial environment in your entire body. So right just above that lining lives your gut microbiome. And what do I mean by the microbiome? This is basically the collection of microflora that live in us. And this is basically made up of bacteria, viruses, and fungi. And they live with us. And we have to live in a symbiotic relationship with them because those bacteria that colonize our entire gut, nasal cavity, oral cavity, lung cavity, you know, stomach, intestines, vaginal canal, everything. These bacteria is what helps us process the outside world in. 
They actually help us digest food. They help us activate vitamins, minerals. They help us with the production of hormones and neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. So they're so critical for our well-being. They also help fight infections. So these bacteria are so critical for our well-being. And when we have an imbalance in that microbial diversity, and what I mean by that is we have an overgrowth of weeds and an undergrowth of healthy, lush, beautiful bacteria and viruses and fungi, we end up with this imbalance that results in a degradation of our cell lining, our gut lining, that then makes it makes us uh, prone to infections and illness and inflammation. Because now, instead of having this kind of tight, tightly wound uh, barrier, it's now open and the immune system is behind it going, oh my God, like we're, we're breached, right? It's like, it's like your castle is being breached, right? That's exactly what's happening. So the immune system, the troops are called in and now the immune system is overactivated in order to respond to the onslaught of bacteria, bacterial waste products, et cetera, that are coming through. So if there is a breach in the gut and then you get this breach of this bad bacteria or this bad flora and fauna, no flora, I guess, rather than fauna, um, I'm <laughs> banding running through, then what happens? So presumably, I'm speaking from my own experience, because uh, let's face it, I'm not the world's greatest epitome of godlike health. So I can feel specific areas in my gut where there's a, like a twinge. And after I eat, I can feel pressure building up in those areas. Those are the kind of symptoms that other people should probably be paying attention to, I'm guessing. Yes, of course. I mean, anytime you have any symptoms in the gut, such as heartburn, a little bit of discomfort, pain, cramping, diarrhea, constipation, and then, of course, major symptoms such as blood in the stool, like all these symptoms should not be ignored ever, right? Or if you or if you get bloated right after a meal or two hours after a meal, that tells us quite a lot of information. Because essentially, what is really important to remember is that this human biology is, is like a symph- it's like a symphony and it's played between the body and the greater nature that's around us. And the greater conductor of that symphony, how it plays out in many ways is your gut and its microbiome. Because literally this is where the biggest surface area is that is engaged with the outside world and helps process it so that we ourselves are able to then decide what should it express through genetics and how it runs its function. Because essentially this gut and its microbiome is responsible, as I mentioned, for nutrient delivery, for conversion of food into energy, for it's the foundation of our immune system. It helps us define self from non-self. It's what supports brain development. Your brain does not develop without the gut microbiome. So we know that um, there's plenty of research now that shows that in utero, even in inside your mom, inside your uh, inside your mom's womb, right? In utero, your life is really important for us because the bacteria that we used to think that there is no bacterial diversity whatsoever inside um, the amniotic sac and inside the baby, that it's a very sterile environment. But we know that's not the case. We know that there is some transference, but the biggest transference happens through vaginal delivery. But we know that vaginal delivery uh, versus C-section babies and then breastfed versus bottle-fed, we know that there is a significant impact on neurogenesis and brain development that occurs because of the low levels of bacterial diversity present in babies who are born via C-section and then also bottle-fed. 
and then maybe down the line, when they introduced solid foods, they were eating highly processed, high sugar foods. That all changes the microbial diversity or actually suffers. The microbial diversity suffers um, in general, and then also the composition of the microbiome suffers. And then as a result, the gut microbiome barrier suffers. So brain development is really starts happening in utero and it's very much di- dictated by the presence of healthy bacteria in the gut. And also emotional processing is really processed through the gut. So the brain and the gut, super interesting fact is they actually split from the same cell in utero, right? So inside, um, and and so, and they have this intimate connection um, through the nervous system called the enteric nervous system and also the vagus nerves. And you actually have so much, so many more nerves covering your gut than you have in your spinal cord. And the reason for it is because this is the largest surface area that you're engaging with the outside world. Because if you take out, for example, if you just take out your intestines and you spread it out, the intestines can cover two tennis courts worth of space because of this, the structure inside. It looks like a coral reef, right? You have all these microvilli, finger-like projection, increase the surface area. The reason the body increases surface area is to increase its listening capacity. Right? So it wants to listen and see what's happening in the outside world and then processes that to, to, to the inside. So you think about your gut microbiome is your eyes and ears to the outside world, right? Because your immune system and your nervous system is really taking cues from that exchange. And recent scans have showed that we thought before that the nervous, the, the nerve endings of your vagus nerve and enteric nervous system just sit behind that barrier. We actually now have amazing uh, uh, data and scans that show that these nerves actually cross the barrier and engage with the bacteria itself and take messages from the bacteria and pass it back up to the brain. Yeah, super fascinating. Wow. Okay, because this again, this sparks another thought in my mind, which is a theme that we talk about often, which is attention is a currency and you pay attention, but you've got to pay attention through your gut and the, the way to be most present is to pay attention to what your gut is telling you. One of the things that I, I really love about the work that I do is when you get into flow and yeah. it's like a third party out of body experience and it's you having a conversation with somebody else and you're seeing that conversation go on. But it's like you're observing it all and everything goes beautifully slowly and it's like you're choreographing the whole thing. And that comes through having really good attention to your gut and being fully present. So I'm very curious about what one can do to facilitate that through diets and through meditation. We'll talk about diet. We'll talk about sleep. We'll talk about meditation because all have a different impact on the gut microbiome. But in general, just to kind of complete the thought with what you just shared, because it's so beautiful, there's actually amazing research that shows, and this is coming from Dr. Zach Bush's lab, which talks about that human thought and consciousness is actually not coming from the human mind, that the human brain has this massive network of neurons, as I explained, that go into the gut lining. And it's the gut lining with all these afferent nerves that are going into it is actually directly communicating with the milieu of microbes that are swimming in there. And it's, and it's this intricate relationship that helps the brain analyze what's happening outside. And so when we think about 
you when you say I'm in a state of flow, that's when you are when you are tapped into the conscious of the unconscious or the conscious of the world around you, right? Because essentially you're, you know, when you feel like, oh my God, all these synchronicities are happening to me in my life, or it's not luck, right? We kind of we kind of sometimes label it as luck, but it's like when you allow yourself to tap into the intelligence of the universe, that's it's really when you are living symbiotically with those microbes that are essentially giving you information from the outside world. Because every time you breathe, right, you're breathing in a host of diverse microbes. And these microbes are feeding your microbes and passing micro RNA, passing information. And that information is then mixing with your own DNA and then helping you thrive and process the world around you. So it's really fascinating area of research. And it really places the gut at kind of as the command center with your brain as a relay because the brain is responding to the messages coming from the gut microbiome. It's really interesting. The last couple of years, I've developed a real hypersensitivity to chili. I still love it. But whenever (laughs) I cook with it, even the thought of doing it, I'm just starting to break out in this sweat now. But the moment I open the chili oil pot or start chopping a piece of chili, my temperature rises, I can feel um, an endorphin rush. It's really very weird. So this also reminds me of Bruce Lipton's biology yeah. of um, belief. Um, emotion, belief, and so on. So th- this is a journey that I've been on for a while. And I'm very, very curious because you mentioned that your uh, initial introduction to this was uh, through a Chinese doctor. And one thing I really like about traditional Chinese doctors was their payments mechanism, which was that you pay them well when you're healthy and they have to pay for your treatment when you're sick which means their emphasis is on prevention instead of cure. I wonder how often that might be applicable in business. And uh, you know, if we focused more on outcome-based pricing, but we also focused on prevention, we seem to begrudgingly pay insurance, but we pay it because you know, we know we might need it. Why aren't we the same in terms of health, in terms of the way we run our businesses? Uh, what, what is it about the human beings that makes us behave in such basically self-sabotaging ways? It's a very good question. I think that if we look at history of human behavior, I think that we are moving more and more towards this unhealthy sort of, let's say, behaviors where we're more isolated. There's a lot more greed. There's a lot more individualism. We don't care about the society at large, et cetera, et cetera. We have these massive trends that are going forward, but that's really because it's driven by fear. If you think about our world, we our brain reward pathways are really hijacked by fear. If you watch the news, everything is doom and gloom, right? We don't have the news of happy things that are happening in the world. It's always about what's falling apart. And when you are basically body, it's like what Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about. When your cells are bathed in an environment of fear, fear produces a biochemistry, um, is unhealthy for the cells because it puts you in a state of fight or flight. And that actually reduces the cell's uh, functional capacity because now there's high levels of stress that, and that stress causes damage to your mitochondria, which are these little energy batteries inside their cells that are essential for life. There's what allow, what power up the cell to do what it does. And it's what helps you convert food into energy. So all the food that you eat is useless if we can't have this mitochondria converted into energy that then the cell uses to run its function. But when we are bathed in a state of fear and stress, it actually worsens our functional capacity. At 
at all cellular capacity across the across the body. But what gets affected the most is your brain, because your brain has arguably the highest density of mitochondria in the body, because there's so much going on all the time, right? There's the synapses are firing all the time. We have to, to think. We have conscious and you know we have this high level of mitochondrial diversity taking place in our brain. And if we are bathed in fear, we're going to actually suppress the activity of our prefrontal cortex. And it's going to keep us plugged into our reptilian brain, right? Our fight or flight emotional brain. And that then makes us very, very triggerable. And that really then drives our feeding behavior, our mating behavior, our, we become more impulsive. We're short tempered with our children because we are in a state of fight or flight permanently, because that's the way our modern society is geared. And we're also not, not only are we bathed in fear, but we're also very much disconnected from nature. So you see most people we're living in our houses, inside our homes. We talk to people through our laptops or our, 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 um, our phones. We really don't spend any time in nature. So that again, goes back to plummeting our microbial diversity and our intelligence and connection with nature. And then a lot of us are even isolated, especially with the pandemic, right? We have this massive rise of mental health. It's no surprise because isolation kills. We are genetically wired for connection, physical connection, felt connection, not connection, you know, uh, via technology. We need that because that actually helps the process in which we repair our genes. So when we lack felt connection, we actually downregulate our methylation process which is the process in which we repair DNA. And then that actually accelerates our biological clock. So when we are in a state of stress and isolation, we accelerate biological aging. And with aging comes inflammation and disease. Right. And in the green room, you said that chronological aging is not necessarily the same as biological aging, but this inflammation will increase it, the biological aging, but it needn't do so. Well, chronological age is what we have this, Societal yeah, construct, right? Like every year you have your birthday. It's the number of can- candles on your on your birthday cake. But biological age is basically the age of your cells, right? So, and it's related to function. So how well is your cell functioning the way it's intended? And what happens as we age, we get this X differentiation of cells where cells, instead of behaving fully as a skin cell, might start to behave as a muscle cell or as a heart cell, right? Because when we're born, the cluster of cells starts to differentiate into specific cells around the body. And then each cell, just to kind of explain it, each cell in your body in the nucleus, it has a DNA and that DNA holds the code to every single cell in your body. But Mm -hmm. that specific skin cell will only read the code responsible for a skin cell. So it can make more skin cells. When we age, right? When we age from by factor of, of obviously getting older, but also by how much, damage we are exposing our body yeah yeah how much damage that's taking place then the way we read that uh, dna becomes faulty and then we start to read sections and the cells x differentiate into the wrong thing and that's really the big research and work of dr david sinclair which is kind of the thought leader in the space of longevity and biological clocks and and reversing your biological clock, but you can definitely reverse your biological clock because ultimately it's all about optimizing the functionality of your cells. It's all about cellular health and it goes back to that mitochondria. You said something which sounded like a political slogan, but there rings well. (laughs) Genetics loads the gun, environment pulls the trigger. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so I think that 
a lot of times people think, oh, it's in my genetics. I might develop type 2 diabetes or we have a family history of cancer or we have a family history of mental health. But in actual fact, all research shows that genetics play a very, very minor role in the expression of disease. Unless you have a very specific rare genetic disorder, which is really rare, most diseases occur as a result of environmental exposure. So 95% of diseases occur as a result of how we read our genes, right? So that's really the, the whole area of research of epigenetics. So epi means above. So what reads the gene and how that expresses is then what defines whether we're going to get sick or not. And what really regulates that, that epigenetic expression, are sleep, light exposure, thoughts, right? Negative thoughts or positive thoughts, connection versus isolation, nutrition, right? Are we eating food that is nutritious and feeds our gut microbiome and our body and gives us some nutrients? Or are we having ultra-processed, high-sugar, empty calories type of food? Stress levels, right? Are we in a state of stress or are we in a state of restoration? Movement, right? Movement is so critical. So all these factors are input. Toxic exposure, do we live near a power plant? Are we uh, do we spend time in nature? Do we use a lot of chemical products in our household? Are we you know, spraying excessive perfumes or using aluminum-based uh, deodorants? Or are we cooking in Teflon pans? And you know, so the, your body is constantly processing. It's like a detoxifying machine. It has to clear out all these things that are internally generated, but also externally coming in. And when it's clogged up, we lose our resilience, right? That's what we call the... Um, we call allostatic load, right? Body burden. So if your body burden gets too much such that your ability to clear things out is lower than your capacity of what's coming in, that's when disease starts to occur because then you, you end up with stagnate. It's like a buildup of waste in the, in the town because the garbage men are on strike. We have limited number of people to clear, to clear the toxins. Really depressingly interesting. That list you described essentially describes my lifestyle. So uh, I'm dead, everyone. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, you're not. You're um, here. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, yeah, in spirit. Help me understand this then. If you're in a high stress role, what are the things that you can do to start taking back control and actually helping yourself that don't involve? things that you know, involve body shaming at gyms and massive inconvenience? So really, the one of the biggest things that you can do for yourself to improve your health is sleep, prioritizing sleep, because sleep is basically nature's attempt at immortality. When you sleep is when you repair. And if we, most people are walking around in a, in a sleep deficit consistently. And when we talk about sleep, you know, it's not about just the amount of sleep, it's the consistency and the timing of sleep, right? So we want to be able to give our body a normal rhythm, just like we do with children, right? We need to give it a consistent rhythm of wake sleep cycle. So what time you sleep is so critical and the consistency of it is so important. Now, on average, a healthy human to have to maintain health, you need a good eight to nine hours of sleep, good solid sleep. And this is really important because that's, how you're able to repair. Now, some people can go on with maybe less sleep and there's some genetic variations, et cetera. But essentially what we know for a fact is that the more you sleep, the more you'll be able to repair. And the timing of your sleep is so critical because if you sleep past 10 p.m., 
you are losing on the most restorative part of sleep, which is between 10 and 2 a.m. So 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. is really when your body goes into the deepest state of sleep, which is where you repair. That's when your liver is working at its optimal capacity in order to clean the gunk that is accumulated both from internal waste and external um, exposures, right? And this is really important that deep sleep you cannot make up by just sleeping later, you know, sleeping in the next morning because deep sleep happens in that early part of the sleep. And this is where your melatonin, the hormone that helps you fall asleep, is kind of peaking towards the end of that period, because then that melatonin is what sets the scene for all the other repair mechanisms to take place. This is where you trouble your receptors so you become sensitive to all the hormones. This is where your mitochondria repairs itself from damage throughout the day so it can regenerate. This is where your thyroid hormone also recalibrates. This is where your immune system resets. This is where your gut lining completely repairs. So you will have damage to the gut lining throughout the day from stress, from exposures, from food. And so literally the workers go and repair the lining of the gut. Your stem cells are recruited to all areas of damage. All of this is taking place at night. And so if we don't sleep well and we lose out on our sleep, we're constantly waking up with, you're basically functioning functioning today on yesterday's waste. And over time, that accumulation is going to create a lot more inflammation and slow down in function. So really sleep is the number one thing that we need to do. You, can, you cannot really outrun bad sleep. You can do all the clean nutrition. You can do your movement. You can meditate, right? All these are great things. But if the foundation is off, you're always going to be an uphill battle. So sleep is so critical for our well-being. That's really the number one, I would say. Thing. And because most people will focus on nutrition, right? They go to, okay, I'm going to take out the sugar, I'm take out the gluten, and we come at things from this perspective of restriction. But first, understand why are these things bad for you, right? It's because they literally have no nutritional value whatsoever, right? So let's talk about sugar, for example, right? Sugar is really problematic because we actually have receptors in our brain that can register sugar, especially caramelized sugar, right? Like the thing that you see on donuts and stuff like that. So we actually have those receptors that can sense the presence of these kind of caramelized sugars, because when sugar goes into the body, it becomes, it turns into what we call ages, right? And these ages are then picked up by rage receptors. So it's quite interesting that the acronym for it is rage, because it actually makes your brain enraged when you have sugar, because your brain actually has the capacity to confiscate 50% of all sugar intake that you had just consumed. In our modern day, people eat a huge amount of sugar and processed sugar coming in the form of processed carbs and so on. And that sugar is all going into the brain. What is that doing? When it goes into the brain, not only is it enraging the brain by activating those rage receptors and triggering inflammation, but that sugar is basically stuffing our cells and basically think of the mitochondria, the, these little batteries inside the cell, they have to process that sugar. But instead of having this nice trickle so it can process it into beautiful energy that the cell can use, it's like LA traffic, right? It's all these sugar molecules coming at the mitochondria and it's damaging it. So now we cannot process this sugar effectively. And now your brain starts to slow down. So you get this deficit, this energy deficit in the brain. And this is what the typical early sign to say, oh, I have brain fog. Or you know what? We want to remember a word at the tip of your tongue and you can't. That like kind of short-term memory loss or, you know, 
your recall capacity is reduced. Like those are all early signs that your brain is inflamed. That's all early signs that your gut barrier is compromised. But the good, good news is you can fix all of that, right? It's not like a, the body has such a phenomenal capacity to heal. Like you think about it, if you cut yourself, you don't consciously tell the body what to do. It knows what to do to heal that wound immediately. Your yeah. body has all the instructions. When we overburden it, that it loses its capacity to repair effectively. And then it sends you signals like the brain fog, like the heartburn, like the constipation, like the low sex drive, like the infertility, or vaginal dryness, right? Migraines, pain. All of these are symptoms that the body's going, hello, please, like pay attention to what you're doing. I need you to put better things in me. So that's why sleep is really important because it's important for restoration. But the second is greens. Up your intake of plant-based foods, right? Start there because when you increase the diversity of plants that you eat in your diet from the morning till the evening, that is so critical because that will improve the diversity of your gut microbiome and it will actually change the way you're craving foods. So instead of saying, I'm just going to cut sugar, I'm going to cut the gluten, but then you don't offset that by increasing fiber content from vegetables, you're still operating in a deficit. It becomes very difficult. And then people's willpower wins off and motivation wins off. And then they're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go back and eat some sugar. This is not working. Well, it's not working because you haven't given the body what it needs. It's not about what you take away. It's about what you give it. Okay. So this has been a really fascinating conversation, Amal. Thank you so much. And I would love to have you back. Because I, I'm sure there will be questions from the audience. And I think there's a whole theme around sharpening the saw that we can look at. So in terms of what people can do to improve their own understanding, what can people read, watch, listen to? But what would you recommend? It's quite a lot I can talk about. But I think that my favorite, there's a couple of books. I actually got them here. Brain Energy by Christopher Palmer is a fantastic book to understand how our choices, our lifestyle choices, impact our brain's function and, and capability. And it really, he talks in a lot more detail about all mental health disorders are metabolic disorders. And there was a paper that was published in JAMA not so long ago and showed that children who develop insulin resistance at the age of nine are five times more likely to develop schizophrenia, depression, anxiety by the age of 24. Five times. The very yeah. staggering statistic. And that's why, because most mental health disorders start as a result of a metabolic dysfunction, which is driven by gut dysfunction. So even if you think about depression and people go... If, all patients should definitely receive treatment. But when you think about antidepressant treatment, you only have a 10% chance of ever being in remission from depression by taking medication. That's it. 10%. Wow. 10%. So, well, it's like statins, doled out like smarties. And yeah, then but they don't address the root cause. Horrific. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think that, you know, it's so important to understand that everything's connecting. Your brain is connected to your body, is connected your spirit. And so this is a really great book because most people think, what does my body have to do with my brain? Everything. Because the health of your brain is dependent on the health of your body, not the other way around. The other really great book is called Gut Feelings by Dr. Alessio Fasano. 
which he's one of the thought leaders in the space of the gut microbiome and health and autoimmunity and so on. And that's a really great book to understand the gut and its influence on your health. And then there's a great book called Why We Get Sick by Dr. Benjamin Bickman. And he focuses so much on the metabolic aspect of health, right? Because when we think about metabolism, we think about weight gain and weight loss and calories, but metabolism is life. If you don't metabolize food, or if you don't metabolize, if you can't convert input into energy, you cannot function. So that's what metabolism is. It's not what we, you know, in, in the social media space think it is, right? So it's important that we understand that when there's dysfunction in metabolism, that leads to disease. So those three books are really great starts. And then if you want to focus a lot more on, let's say, focus and brain health and cognitive function, then I highly recommend uh, the Huberman Lab podcast. Dr. Huberman is a neuroscientist, phenomenal physician, phenomenal researcher in the space and brings the top experts and they address far and wide topics, um, all relevant and and they approach everything from a systems biology approach. Fascinating. Amal, I know that you've got uh, open programs. Have you got any of those coming up? Yeah, so I have uh, my group program is uh, kicking off on January 18th, so in two weeks' time, and really highly encourage it. This has been a labor of love, and it's a, a program that was really designed. As a, it's a 10-week program designed to help you revive your health at a cellular level. And we address all of these things around gut rehabilitation, immune rejuvenation, hormone balance, nervous system correction, all of these things we do in those 10 weeks. You know, it's a kind of a curated guided program and there's a beautiful sense of community that comes with it. So we have weekly calls, we coach each other, and it's really all about helping you and empowering you with the knowledge to understand where your symptoms are coming from, what's the root cause and how you correct them with a plethora of solutions that we provide that help you achieve all your health health goals within those 10 weeks and kind of give you a blueprint for life. And how often do you run these group programs? We run them four times a year, but essentially we will take people, when people apply to the practice, we often, there's two paths. We either kind of direct them towards the group program if we feel that's where they will best flourish versus one-on-one, which is a lot more intensive, which is what you and I are, are, are doing. And that's really depends on everyone's health status. And also it's a partnership, right? So we, we are looking at, you know, functional medicine is very personalized in nature. So when we work with people, we want to make sure that what we're designing, we're designing together and it works for you and, it, and within your lifestyle, because that's essential. So there's no cookie cutter approach here. <laughs> Fantastic. Amal, how can people get hold of you? So best thing, you can get a hold of me through my website. You can contact me through um, support at amalismail.com. You can also fill out an application if you are interested in working with us. Also available on our website, amalismail.com. And you also could follow me on Instagram. I actually do quite a lot of, it's purely educational content, my Instagram. I discuss quite a lot of uh, recent data and how that relates to health. I run a lot of free masterclasses that our people are welcome to attend. There's one that's coming up next Tuesday. So definitely join. We'll be diving into a lot of the stuff we talked about today. And my handle is Amal Ismail underscore IFM, uh, FMCP. So I will, I'll share that with you as well. Amal, last question then. Your best mistake? Oh, that's a great question. I love those questions. You know what? I would say the best mistake would it has been going down the conventional route. I think that, you know, studying pharmacy, I wouldn't, 
you know, I, w- I wouldn't probably classify it as a mistake. I'm very grateful for it, but it definitely not the path that I would have chosen, but it's definitely the path that has led me to where I am today. So I'm really grateful for that. I can appreciate that. I, the, a lot of the mistakes that I made, I'm very grateful for because they uh, helped me form into who I am today. So I, I appreciate that. Excellent. Amal, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you. It was such so much fun. We could have talked for hours. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> we could, but I have to take my wife to her Christmas present. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. Connection. That's great. <laughs> Excellent. Amal Ismail, thank you. Thank you. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, please like, comment, share, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite website. If you've got questions, please get in touch with myself or Amal. And if you want to be a guest, there's a link in the blurb. And if you want to talk to me about coaching, you could also do that too. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.